Hello, and welcome to Friends for Life, a podcast of the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod's Life Ministry. We're sharing the stories and insights of real people living out God's love for the people He's created. We hope you'll stick around and be our friends for life. Thanks so much for joining us. I'm your host, Stephanie Jabauer. With me today is special guest, Renee Gibbs, who brings along with her decades of experience and hands-on activity in the life arena. But what may be one of Renee's greatest claims, at least in my opinion, is not readily observable, but rather something she does often behind closed doors. And that is Renee prays. Renee prays for dear life, the dear lives of the unborn, the mothers, the fathers, and all lives who Christ has died to redeem, even those lives of her enemies. Here to talk about how she prays for life and how we too can join in with her, Mrs. Renee Gibbs. Renee, welcome to our show. Would you please introduce yourself? Hey, Steph, it is so great to be here with you, and thank you for that kind introduction. Yes, behind closed doors. Um, I am married to my husband, Jeff, and we've been almost married 50 years. We'll celebrate that this year. And we have four grown children who all live out west with our 14 grandchildren. Um, We've lived in St. Louis for 30 years now while Jeff taught at the seminary. And of course, I was very active in the SEM community, and that's where I got to know you and your dear husband. Um, I'm a retired special ed teacher, and uh, I've even led 16 mission trips with the seminary people to Guatemala. So that was fun. And in fact, uh, right now, there's a group down there in the Dominican Republic. So it's uh, in my heart, missions. And um, we just enjoy the life that God has given us here now in retirement. And still in St. Louis, correct? Yes, and we'll stay here. God still has work for us to do here. I know that wherever he has planted you, you both continue to work and to do what God has put before you. Renee, I would love to hear more about how you became so involved in the life arena, because for as long as I have known you, you've been very active in many ways, but uh, for one, on the life team at the seminary, for two, involved in, I know, pregnancy centers, praying outside of abortion facilities on the sidewalk. Would you share with us how that all started for you, how you became so passionate about life issues? Well, I can remember in 1973, 50 years ago, in the car driving when I was a college student and heard about the Roe decision. And I thought, how can this be? And my second thought was, well, it won't last very long. And boy, I was wrong. It's been with us 50 years, and yet it continues even after the current Roe decision last summer. The fight is still on in so many states. Early memories, I remember when Jeff was a pastor in Oregon, taking a life walk with our little ones, either in a stroller or pulling them in a wagon eight miles for a life. And then here, about 25 years ago, a seminary wife invited me to join her in prayer on the sidewalk in front of Planned Parenthood. And I had never done that. Of course, it's very scary thinking about, whoa, is this safe? But we went and I got hooked. And it was so encouraging, a wonderful way to spend Saturday mornings with my friend and to be able to be there. This is the last place where the children have a chance, you know, to be able to pray, to encourage the moms and the fathers in that time of crisis for them. I was teaching at Lutheran High School. I'm a retired special ed teacher. And they were starting a a Teens for Life group and said, Um, We need an advisor. And so I raised my hand 
and God led me to, to be with these kids and helping form them in their life thought process. In fact, I just chaperoned them to the March for Life 21 years in a row. So even when I retired, they kept asking me to, to come and take them um, to D.C. You mentioned the life team, and, and Jeff and I were blessed to be the advisors for that at the seminary. And this is what we call our pro-life group, life team, and helping form our students and their wives and others in the community on a, various life issues. So I'm still involved with that and doing a lot of activities and a lot of educational events for them. I served on the Lutherans for Life Board of Directors for 11 years. That's a great organization. I know you've mentioned that before for uh, people to be equipped through the Word of God. And finally, now I'm working with a group called Coalition Life. I'm on their Board of Directors here in St. Louis, and their main work is on the sidewalk with trained sidewalk counselors being able to offer options for those who are entering the clinics. So it's kind of spread over many years and many different opportunities that I've been blessed to be a part of. So it's in my heart, as you can tell. Yes. Anyone who knows Renee Gibbs knows that this is a large part of who she is and what she does. And Renee, you've mentioned a lot of maybe what I would consider kind of more organized or organizational pro-life efforts, but your heart for life issues goes beyond that and just permeates your daily life. In some ways unknown to me, I know that you show the love of Jesus for life on the seminary campus, and I'm sure that looks in many ways different, but nurturing young mothers, supporting them on their seminary journey, and that's certainly a way that you exercise your muscles in the life arena. But today we're specifically talking about prayer. You were able to share with me a couple of weeks ago something that I found inspiring, which is that you've been praying the same prayers for life for over 20 years. Can you talk to us about your habit of prayer, especially for life issues? I would be glad to, Steph. You know, in the early years, there was basically one issue, and that was abortion. But it has grown to dozens and dozens of issues that would fall under the life arena. Prayer is so, so crucial in these things. I love it because prayer is something that anyone can do and that we all do, you know, in our relationship to our Lord. But to be able to focus on life issues, and I think people don't necessarily think about that very often. One tool that I love is when I was on the sidewalk, one of my friends developed a pro-life prayer calendar. That's probably what got me going and focused really in prayer on the life issues. And it's a simple page that I keep in my prayer notebook. And every day, that's the first thing that I see when I open the notebook. And it's got 31 days and 31 topics that they've divided out. And so that helps me to be focused. Like the first one for day one, praise God for the gift of life and for his plan for your life since before you were born. Then it goes on. And I was trying to highlight the ones that were my favorites, and the whole sheet is yellow because I think all (laughs) these issues are so, so important. I'll just summarize for the babies, another day for the pregnant women, 
Uh, day four is pray for your church's efforts. Day five is a good one. Pray for abortionists. Six, pray for the closing of abortion centers. It goes on to say, pray for Christians in government, that they will speak in defense of the defenseless. Then it gets into some of our officers, our, our leaders, praying for the president and vice president. And with each of these, there's verses that go along with it uh, for the Supreme Court, Congress, local governors. And that's just the first page. And, you know, just for your listeners to think about all the different ways it's involved. Pray for those with serious illness or pray for couples who cannot have children and long to adopt a child. Praying for teens in your church, that they would live a life of sexual purity. Praying for women who've had abortions, that they might find emotional restoration. Praying for crisis pregnancy centers, and that's where I know you work. So here on day uh, 20, I'm praying for you and those that are in that field. Uh, I like this one, praying for the media, that their eyes will be opened and they will inform the public truthfully on abortion. How about praying for your family? I know you pray with your children, that they will live a life pleasing to God and uphold the sanctity of human life. Praying for struggling single mothers. Praying for Christian doctors that they will expose the truth about abortion. Praying for parents grieving over their sons and daughters' abortions of their grandchildren. Praying for fathers mourning the death of their children. And finally, on day 31, it's a praise. Praising God for answering your prayers to save parents and children from abortion. So there's so many more topics that you can fill in that way, but it just shows the breadth of people that need our prayers. Yeah, and there's 31 consecutive days of this. And as we've talked about before on Friends for Life, what you had said exactly, the breadth of life issues, it's innumerable to have so many different petitions that really touch on various aspects of the life arena and life issues in general. It's a very helpful, I would say, tool or guide for people who had never even considered incorporating these kinds of prayers into their prayer life. Right. In a very practical sense, how do you, Renee, incorporate this prayer calendar into your daily, weekly, monthly, because it's 31 days, life? Well, I start my prayers with that. It's very handy to have that front and center after I begin. And each day having a specific topic to focus on is helpful. And then other ways that I incorporate prayer, for example, the Lord's Prayer. And using that, all those petitions as I pray them, I can be thinking in the life arena for God's name to be hallowed here for his kingdom to come, for things to be set right in the life arena, for his will to be done. And then it goes on, you know, when I'm praying for my daily bread, I could be praying for needs of those that are sick or infertile. As I'm praying, it's easy for these to, to be connected. And of course, praying for forgiveness when I have made poor choices in the life arena. And so it all comes together. It's a, a wonderful tool that we can incorporate because we're praying the Lord's Prayer. And if we just slow down a little bit and keep 
that in mind when we're doing it, then it can be a, a very helpful thing. You know, we think of people praying on the sidewalk or in Washington, D.C., or at your pregnancy center, but we can pray anywhere. And God invites us to pray, and he promises that he hears and answers our prayer. Jeff reminded me of a book by Ole Hallowsby, and his quote is, prayer is for the helpless. We go to our Lord in prayer in a very humble state. And so as we are thinking about people that we pray for, for example, if I'm praying for the abortionist, that is going to change my heart. When I pray for people, even for my enemies, we all have people in our lives that maybe aren't our favorite people that kind of get under our skin. But if we start praying for them, suddenly God changes our hearts and it softens towards those people. And you might think of them as enemies, the abortionists, or those that are so strongly promoting abortion and other poor life choices. Instead of thinking ill of them, if we are realizing that it is just Satan that has them blinded, Satan is the real enemy in this, that we can pray for them and that the Lord may change their hearts. So instead of fighting, offer prayer. That's wisdom. Our previous guest on the episode before this one, Pastor Andy Jones, his book, 10 Questions, one of the questions is, who is the enemy? You're so right. It changes us when we realize two things that you said. First, that we're beggars before God, that we're in a place of total and utter need. Uh, Luther himself, his parting words were, I am a beggar. <laughs> and secondly, who is the real enemy? Well, it is Satan. It is death. It is sin. To pray against those things that God's kingdom come as we ask in the Lord's prayer is truly praying for our enemies and for repentance in us as well as in the lives of our enemies. It's very fitting then that as part of this prayer calendar, we would be praying for groups like Planned Parenthood and other abortion organizations, that we would be praying for doctors who perform abortions that we would be praying for leaders, whether they're ones we're fans of or not. In the fourth commandment, we're commanded to honor our authorities, and that involves praying for them. God has put them in a position over us that they would uh, govern rightly and according to his will, and so we pray for that to be true among us. We pray for forgiveness for ourselves, but also corporally as we pray in the divine service to ask for forgiveness of sins that we have left undone, not just of sins that we've done, but of sins that we've left undone sins of our thoughts, of words and deed. And of course, we know also in the fifth commandment that the command to not murder goes beyond harming a person in their body, but also failing to protect them like we should. I love that what this calendar does is essentially reflect the different ways that we can participate in prayer. Luther's method for, for praying the words of the Ten Commandments, the Lord's Prayer, the Creed. Scripture is to remember these four words, instruction, thanksgiving, confession, and prayer. And so there's different ways that we involve this in our meditations. I love how this calendar has laid that out for us. Apparently, research shows that it takes 
21 days to form a new habit. Now, people argue about that number, but the number is kind of neither here nor there. Really, the fact remains that it takes consecutive days of being committed to something in order to involve it into our daily rituals, into our daily habits, as you could say. Why do you think it's so important not only to involve prayer in our daily habit, but specifically prayers for life? Because uh, I'll be quite honest, it wasn't until rather recently that our family started to actually involve prayer for life issues into our evening prayers as a family. So again, why is it important to make this a habit in our lives and the life of our family? Well, you mentioned with your family, I think life is foundational. And so it's so important for us to ground that in our prayers and in our daily habits. When you mentioned the 21 days to form a habit, you asked about how did I get into prayer? Uh, Aside from the life calendar, um, about 25 years ago, a friend invited me to a workshop entitled Let Prayer Change Your Life. So I went because she gave me a free ticket and it (laughs) did change my life. Um, The author of the book by that title had us get a prayer notebook of some sort. And her goal was to have everyone pray for an hour a day. And you go away thinking, oh, my gosh, how is this possible? I'm a busy mother of four and I'm working. Where am I getting in an hour to pray? I included my Bible time in that, but I got in that habit of really spending time. And so I don't want your listeners to freak and think, we have to do an hour. No way. I can't do any. So whatever little chunk of time you have is very wonderful, but to make it a habit. And so I put my prayers into a three-ring binder, and that's where my prayer notebook went. I mean, that prayer page. We're all familiar with the ACTXS, as you mentioned, kind of from Luther's, his take on that. Um, I changed it to P-A-T-H. And for those four letters, I start with praise and then admit, which would be like confession. Next, Thanksgiving. And then I use help for H. So my path to the Lord. And then in my notebook, I have pages for each of those, just loose leaf paper so I can change them out very easily in a page for each of those topics. And then my my help section, my supplication is the largest, of course, in there with pages for family members, writing one line a day for each of my kids and their families, my husband, my parents and siblings. And then all kinds of things come up in your life. And then for each day, I would have different topics. Like Sunday, I'm praying for the church. Monday, for our godchildren, and so forth like that. Thursday, I'm praying for you as a pastor's wife. That's my Thursday list. So I have lists and lists of dear women that I've gotten to know and to pray for them and their husbands. And so it was not hard between praying and then reading God's word to be able to to fill my devotional time. But it needs to be a habit that you make important. So on my 
daily to-do list, I write the letters B and P, Bible and pray. And it's not that I'm just writing it on there and I'm checking it off the list. Okay, I got that chore done with. No, I write it on my list because I want it to be front and center. I want to say, yeah, that's important. I'm going to do that. Like you might do with your children. I'm going to read stories today because that's important. And so slowly, you know, the 21 days becomes 21 years and things are a habit. And of course I slip. Some days I get busy and oops, didn't get to that today. But in general, anything that's important to us, then we have to make a priority for that. I, I had a dear semwife in the Bible studies long ago who was an avid reader. And so she would be reading late into the night novels, but then she admitted, but I'm not getting to my Bible. So I said, well, maybe start with that and then read your novel. And she said, of course, you know, because she wanted to. And so it's just sometimes we need little nudges to help us form good habits. I want to say practices because prayer is a practice. But, you know, if, if you don't have time for a three-ring binder and sitting down, I think there's so many ways we can incorporate prayer in our lives. When I was a young mom like you, I had my prayer notes on index cards, and I took them out with me when I went running. So I'm running along the hills in Oregon with my little note cards, and that was my prayer time. There's so many different ways that busy moms can incorporate prayers in their lives. I've never been busier is <laughs> probably just a common refrain of parents, <laughs> but not just parents. Uh, truly, as our digital age progresses, somehow our lives get caught up more and more in things that consume our time but aren't really adding anything of value to our lives. As you said, essentially echoing the wisdom of scripture that where our treasure is, our heart will be, how we spend our time is reflective of what we value. And not to say that people who have slipped away from the practice of daily prayer don't value prayer, but that the priority hasn't been there to focus on bringing all of this before our Lord. And he's commanded us to pray. He invites us to pray. And he invites us to pray because it's a gift. It's a gift to be able to come to God our Father as Jesus invites us in the Lord's prayer to join with him as our brother in addressing God, the maker of the universe, as our Father along with him. And Jesus himself goes off to pray Right, And so he has set forth an example of prayer for us. The fact that we are dependent on God's grace and that in prayer, we get to focus on that grace that we have received and the promises of God that he's given to us. That is a, a gift that Christians are given. And I just recall a quote from Luther, something along the lines of, I am so busy today. I think I need to spend more time in prayer. I, I think I know which one you're speaking of, but as you mentioned, Jesus going to prayer, spending time with his father, both just enjoyment, pleasure time to be with God, you know, soaking up 
the Psalms, the Psalms are prayers. You know, we can be reading those and and seeing the goodness of God and then the depths of despair that the psalmist often were in. These match our feelings. And so they can be a, a super mm-hmm. place to go and and dig in and have these prayers already written for us that express our feelings. Yeah. Often I say, okay, Lord, what are we going to do today? Instead of me starting my day with all my plans, like, well, wait, what do you have planned for me today? And me asking for his help rather than just charging off on my own, which I often do, but trying to back up and, and say, okay, let's do this together. And to find ways to realize what a gift it is. Like, I'm sitting here with coffee with you now, my friend, and I often bring coffee or light a candle during my quiet time. Treat that as special. I'm spending time with a friend, with my Lord, and uh, to make it special, bring chocolate along if I want. For busy moms, you don't just have a natural quiet home. So you have to get creative. When I had my little ones, when they'd go to bed, Jeff would often be out in a Bible study and I would, that was my quiet time after eight o'clock when the house settled down again. Or I might do it in the morning before they got up. I even put the coffee pot in our bathroom because it was close to their bedrooms and I didn't want to wake them up by the sound of the percolator because that would defeat my whole purpose of getting up early if I want to have quiet time early in the day. So I actually put the coffee pot in the bathroom. I get a cup, sit on the floor on a pillow and have a little quiet time before they got up. It's nice if you can find quiet time, but sometimes we don't even have that. So we can incorporate prayer while we're driving. That's a great time instead of listening to the radio or something, to be praying. Mm-hmm. Or when you're doing the dishes or folding laundry or something, to take these little snippets of time. I even heard of John Wesley's mother, who had 12 children. She'd be busy cooking in the kitchen, and she'd suddenly take her apron, flip it up over her head, and then. The children knew if mom's in the apron, it's, she's praying, let's leave her alone. So with our kids, we can even train them, not that you need to flip up an apron, but you can say, <laughs> even in the middle of the day, you know, or maybe when they're, they're napping, say, no, this is quiet time. And it's real important for us to all have quiet time and yeah. to grab that time yeah. together, you know, on your own lives, but also we'll talk about doing it with other groups as well. Yeah, I I love that. The the gift of prayer too is that anytime, any place, anywhere. It's by ourselves. It's with our children. It's with our spouse. It's with other people. It's within our church. It's within our Bible study time, our corporal worship time. The blessing is endless. And in First Thessalonians 5, we are called to pray without ceasing. Right. In part it's a command, but in part it's also an invitation to receive the gifts that God's given us. The fact that Luther has encouraged in his catechism the rising and the going to bed, mealtime, those are all things that we naturally do our bodies need and there's rhythms to our day. 
that we might as well use those rhythms to incorporate the practice of, of prayer. So it becomes second nature to us. It's not even something we think about doing or putting on our to-do list. It It's in the morning, we make the sign of the cross and we pray the Lord's Prayer. In the evening, we make the sign of the cross before bed and we say the creed or recite the commandments or pray the Psalms. And at mealtime, it's the same thing. And, and this can be with our children. In our family, we've got real little people right now. And so we do family devotions every evening before bed. And I'm sure other people's children are a bit less bouncy than ours. It doesn't look like my three little ones listening to me with their hands folded and legs crossed. And that's maybe on me. I don't know. No, it's not on you, staff. Children are bouncy. They're just little tiggers. They all are. <laughs> we have a little calendar we've made for ourselves, and it's a weekly calendar. So we repeat the same prayers every week. So Sunday, for instance, we'll be praying for a family at our church who needs our prayers. Say on Monday, we pray for our president and our governing leaders, whoever they may be, that they may make wise choices. We pray for godchildren or people in our lives that we remember their baptisms and their, their baptismal life. And then we specifically have prayers each week for life issues. So we pray for moms and their babies that they're carrying. We also pray for families that we know who are longing to adopt or who are in the adoption process. And so these are ready at their young age. They're being exposed to this type of prayer, the fact that this is ordinary for our family to include this in our prayer life. And it's it's good and fitting to do that. Praying in the car. I have these uh, little laminated cards that I put right up on my dash that has a Bible verse that we're memorizing for the month that we do when we get in the car. And then also a, a travel prayer, but this can be used anyway. You type up a prayer for life issues. You type up a specific prayer for moms and babies, and you can change it out every week. But the fact that you have something visible reminding you, this is just what we do when we get in the car. We pray. It doesn't have to last your whole trip to the store, or to school, or whatever it may be. It can be as simple as we start and we say a, a psalm and we pray that God would give us eyes to see the life in front of us and the lives of our neighbors and how we can help. It can be simple. So what I am appreciating about our conversation is that rather than complicating things, you're giving us freedom in this whole subject of praying and what we get to do, the opportunities that we have, looking at these as opportunities, not as a begrudging thing to right. do. Prayer is a gift. Yes, and thanks be to God for it. We take for granted the fact that we get to go to our Lord in prayer. And he is so eager. He's welcoming us, just as the forgiving father welcomed the prodigal son. Yes. Our Lord loves us to come to him in prayer. Now, we've mentioned more of a private prayer or the prayers that we pray together as a family, but tell us more about praying with others, maybe praying in public, your prayers in front of abortion clinics and on the sidewalk. Would you tell us a bit about what that has looked like? Sure. I think prayer can be on so many levels, as you mentioned, individual, and you're doing it with your family or your husband. I love prayer in small groups. I'm in a small group Bible study, and every week, listing out our prayers for each other so we can pray during the week, but we can pray together, of course, in church, our corporate prayers, and in front of the clinic. That's, as we said, the last stop, the last hope for men and women in crisis and their children. There, our prayers 
feel very powerful because here we are. It's so stark, the contrast of life and death. And those who are working there and unfortunately fully believe as strongly as we do in life, they are very much promoting the opposite side. So to be able to pray for them as the workers are walking in or the doctors are driving in, to pray for the men and women coming in to this place so that God would change their hearts. And it's such a joy when we do see people change their minds in that way. Talking about prayers being answered, I wanted to comment on abortionists and those in the field whose lives have been changed because of prayer. Abby Johnson is a name that may be familiar, who worked in a clinic of Planned Parenthood in Texas, and those outside were praying for her, and her heart was changed, and she switched sides and joined them. And just last summer, I heard of an abortionist who was performing abortions for many years, but people outside were praying for him, and God changed his heart as well. And so there's many who may be blinded by Satan, but God's prayers are effective. We may not see it immediately, but we still are called to pray, and it's a real gift. Yes. What a testament to the faithfulness of people for years and years who are praying for their enemies. We're all former enemies of God, and we've been rescued over from death to life. To be able to look at people in that way, these are people for whom Christ died and who are helpless and in, in need of Christ and his forgiveness. Wow. One of my friends called us rescued rescuers, that we have been the enemy of God, but he rescued us, and now we can help rescue others. Often we don't know. For example, we were there and someone drove by and said, a couple years ago, I was pregnant and I was praying that God would show me a sign. And you were there. You were outside praying. And I did not keep my appointment. And here's my two-year-old. Just such a blessing <sighs> wow. to see that or to see people go inside and then come out and we're able to help them. And for those who are the trained sidewalk counselors who really are the spokespeople, then we can be praying for them. And we're starting a program to kind of adopt a sidewalk counselor so that we can go there and specifically pray for our counselor while he or she is on duty and then get a connection with them, kind of like you pray for other foreign missionaries, but to be able to pray locally for somebody who's doing very hard mission work here. Wow. There's other opportunities. One program is called 40 Days for Life. And a lot of people pray for 40 days during the spring or the fall. They have campaigns that start on Ash Wednesday and go to Palm Sunday. And then in the fall, where people are signed up, our life team has done that to go down and pray. And there again, you're praying for the counselors, you're praying for the doctors. And so, as while you're on the sidewalk, it's a lot more poignant. You're right there, just a few feet away from these people. And even praying for those who drive by and either give positive signals because they agree with you or negative ones. So praying for the traffic, praying for the witness that you are. Another program that some communities do is called Life Chain. And that's where in October, people are lined up along public streets, silently holding signs. 
And so it's an hour of prayer in a public place. You're doing it together with your friends or your church. And we've done that many times as a witness to God's truth about life. And it has both law and gospel messages, you know, that abortion kills, but that God forgives and saves. Our husbands are both pastors. I'm not sure what Dr. Gibbs has experienced in the parish or what his practice had been or is now. In our church where we are, my husband chooses to incorporate in the petitions certain, maybe we could say, quote unquote, life prayers. So prayers for life issues. And so even in our corporate worship setting, he includes petitions on behalf of, for instance, the lives of the unborn, for couples who are barren, for parents who have lost children in miscarriage or who have lost infants. In these ways, too, we can incorporate these issues of life into the prayers of the church. As you had mentioned earlier, too, the fact that we can also speak the gospel, can be reminded of the gospel in our prayers. And as we pray for women and men who have gone through with abortions, who have terminated pregnancies themselves, that there would be forgiveness, a reminder that there is grace and there is compassion for those who have experienced the loss of an abortion as well. Yes, yes. We need to remember that our friends, our family members, our church members, many of them have experienced abortion. It's almost the same in church as outside the church. Unfortunately, our people are catechized by the media that this abortion can be a good solution, and they are in crisis. So we have to remember when we speak about the life issues, when we speak about abortion, that you may have somebody right there in the room, right in your Bible study, that is post-abortive. So we need to speak graciously with the love of God, and with compassion as he has for us. Um, I often speak on post-abortion syndrome and try to help the audience, the students or others know that this is around us. And the, the goal is to help people not make that choice, but those in the audience who have made the choice for us to understand what they've gone through and to be able to love them and know that Jesus forgives that sin, just like he forgives all the other ones that we have. So for us to speak slowly, or say when someone has a miscarriage, for us not to speak of that lightly and tritely, oh, well, you can try again, but to, to just listen and love people as Jesus does. Yes, yes. Because we all have mistakes. We all need God's forgiveness. Renee, in wrapping up, for our listener who would love to start making this practice part of their daily or weekly lives, what is one way that you would encourage them to begin? I think just being aware of to start very small. As you said, when you have your little notes in your car or verses, just begin thinking about prayer and incorporating God's word and communication in your life, in your daily activities that you're already doing. For example, when you get in the shower and the water hits you, Think of your baptism and just say, I am baptized. 
Or, you know, when you're washing your hands, you might think of when Jesus washed the disciples' feet. And as we bring little remembrances into our lives, they can make such a difference. One thing we haven't talked about is that sometimes I've included fasting as part of my practice. Not a big deal, not fasting all day or for days like some people do. I will just skip a meal, skip breakfast. So during that time when I'm hungry, I think to pray. And I started fasting long ago, once a week, for life issues. And so just a little reminder for me to be able to keep that in the front. And then I go have lunch and I'm fine. But for a morning, I'm thinking, or maybe you would not have your coffee or something like that. As we're coming up to Lent, to be able to pray for life, perhaps little things might be a reminder on your phone. We have reminders for everything else, whether it would shoot us a Bible verse or the word life would show up. And whatever you're doing, you would pray for life. Taking the 31 days, if you like that calendar idea, either being able to write one out and you can put your 31 topics and then each day have a new one. When you're in the grocery line, praying for the people around you and praying for the clerk who may be hassled by the people who are not patient. Just realizing that prayer is such a gift that we overlook. And as you said, I've been appreciating Luther's morning and evening prayer. And there again, it's defend us from the evil one, that he may have no power over us. So I think reminding ourselves that we are in a fallen world and that we are being taught things against God's word. And, and we, it's just like the frog in the water. It's easy for us to forget who we are and whose we are and that we can claim, no, I'm baptized. I belong to Jesus and I want to spend time with him. Whether it's a minute or an hour, uh, I've never done a a retreat, a couple-day retreat, that might be interesting to go have some good quiet prayer time. And when your kids are a little bit older, maybe your husband will let you get away for a day. To do that, we spend a lot of time on social media, and that sucks our time. So maybe before you do that, say a little prayer so that we make good use of the time that the Lord has given us, but not with guilt. Yes. So I don't want anyone to go away from here thinking, is too much. I can't do that. Just think of one little thing that works for you. Maybe it's coffee in the bathroom. <laughs> I want to be an encouragement to your listeners. You have absolutely been that. And I think just for fun, I'm going to bring my coffee pot into our bathroom and just see what my husband says. <laughs> just do it one morning and You'd be like, what is this about? I um, <laughs> well, well, honey, we're going to pray in the bathroom. <laughs> well, to find a place of quiet, yes. I was going to share with you when we end the prayer that we have been using at the seminary chapel, and one of my friends used it in his parish. And this is just one more idea. You asked about places we can pray and different levels of groups. And this would be a corporate prayer. He found that as they prayed this every week in the church, that his parishioners' hearts 
changed by just soaking up prayers and God's word that suddenly they were more attuned to life issues and they thought about these things that they may not have considered before so that it became a part of this church's prayer we're doing at the seminary so that we're just bringing up these issues and then to be able to pray because God is the ultimate one who changes hearts and guides us into good decisions. Would you pray that for us as we close? I would be very happy to. Gracious Father, author of life, in love, protect all unborn children. Guide mothers and fathers into courageous paths of life. Heal the guilt and regret of those who are post-abortive. Give comfort to the barren and let us be their true family. As you served us in our weakness, help us to serve the weak, the troubled, and those who approach the end of life. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. Amen. Renee, it was an absolute pleasure to have you here with me today. It is mutual. It's wonderful to spend time with you. Thank you so much for this great opportunity. And I look forward to future conversations. I do as well. And thanks to our listeners for tuning in. If you liked what you heard, please leave us a review. And don't forget to click the follow or subscribe button so you don't miss out on upcoming episodes. New episodes drop twice each month. You can find us on Facebook and Instagram as Friends for Life LCMS. And finally, listeners, we want to hear from you. Do you have an idea about a guest you'd like to hear from or a topic you want talked about? Email us at friendsforlife at lcms.org. We want to hear from you about what you want to hear about when it comes to issues of life. Thanks for joining us. Friends for Life is a podcast that introduces listeners to life issues by introducing them to friends who stand for life. 